Hi, and welcome to The Final Report, where HMC Investigations teams up with former criminal defense attorney Fletcher Long and author and research specialist Tracy Ellis to discuss real live cases. Some episodes are live and some are not, but don't worry, we want to hear from you. For questions and comments, send an email to thefinalreportpodcast at gmail.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Thanksgiving episode of The Final Report. Hey, how is everybody? Hey, guys. I want to take this opportunity to wish y'all a uh, happy Thanksgiving. Oh, you too. It was Nico's favorite holiday. That's right, Tracy. It was. And, you know, we were actually planning to discuss another case today. And um, as the stars may have it, this is the case that ended up coming up in the queue and the other one fell through. So here we are. And when I messaged uh, Nico's mom to let her know that we wanted to discuss his case today, um, she was taken back because she had actually been trying to think of a way to address some of the families here in Franklin that had kids involved in Nico's disappearance who have stayed very tight-lipped. So I feel like this is a really good opportunity since it is our backyard to, um, to get these things heard and and get them out there. This is definitely the crowd that we want listening. So uh, with that said, I also want to say that this case is very near and dear to my heart because not just because it was here in Franklin, which is my hometown, but also because Nico was a friend of my daughter's. And uh, it was a couple years ago that Tracy and I were at the annual uh, Q Center for Missing Persons convention when a very emotional mother, as they all are, uh, went up to the podium to talk about the nightmare that she had been living for what, what was then five years and is now seven years. And when she said Franklin, Tennessee, it, it got my attention. And uh, he was the same age as my daughter. So I messaged her and asked if she knew him. And she said, yeah, mom. She said, we were pretty good friends. And, um, you know, then she told me he had been missing for quite some time. And I couldn't believe that I hadn't heard about this case. There really is no neighborhood that is completely insulated from criminal activity drug enterprise and the like, because Franklin is per capita in Tennessee. I've always heard said, and I've seen statistics to this effect, that it is the most affluent of Tennessee's counties with the highest household income. Good point. And that is one thing that Monica has had to battle when she has come here to hang up flyers and to look for Nico. She uh, told me a story where she was hanging up flyers and this woman came up to her and said, do you know how much money is in this county? And just in this very rude and kind of snooty way, uh, just told Monica that there's no way it didn't happen here. Just didn't. Let me ask you a question, Heather, because uh, I was reading a story in the Tennessean about it, and it indicated that he had left Jasper, New York on September 30th, 2011, dropped off a friend in Romulus, Michigan, and then arrived back in Franklin on October 1st, 2011, at the time he was 18 years old, and that he did not have his mother's permission to take the truck from Jasper, New York, to Franklin, Tennessee. So I guess the question I'm asking is, was he attending school in Franklin 
Yes, Fletcher. He was living with his aunt and attending Franklin High School in 2009. From what I've been told, he left here and showed back up in New York unexpectedly. Um, he called his mom. She picked him up at the airport. And shortly after he came back, which from what I understand is um, February of 2010, shortly after there was a huge drug and weapons bust at Franklin High. His mother questioned him about it. He said he didn't know anything about it. And um, from what I understand, there was zero communication between him and any of his friends back here in Franklin until September of 2011, which is when he disappeared. Um, Tracy, would you mind going ahead and hitting us with the facts of this case real quick? Sure. Nico was last seen by his family on September 30th, 2011. He left New York, and he made his, a little side trip to take his friend to um, Michigan. And then he arrived in Franklin on October 1st, 2011. Which also happens to be when his phone last pings on Flintlock Drive in Franklin, Tennessee, correct? Right. And guys, you might explain to the listener what a, what a cell phone ping is, because we're going to have some people that, that don't know what that is. Sure, Fletcher. Uh, to ping a phone is to send a signal to that particular phone, and it responds uh, with the location of the phone. Sometimes uh, it can be very, very accurate down to the latitude and longitude. Um, there are other ways to access that information, like, for instance, if the phone has the Google app uh, downloaded onto it, if somebody has that person's Google password, they can go into their Google account and uh, locate the phone that way through maps. Um, or another way is, like we said, to ping the phone through the network. This is a practice that law enforcement use in cases where a criminal or a missing person uh, needs to be located. They can get a warrant to do that. Obviously, this information is much more useful in real time when it comes to locating somebody. In this particular situation, they were able to obtain backlogged locations, um, and the last place that they see Nico's phone pinging is in Franklin, Tennessee on Flintlock Drive at 4 o'clock p.m. on October 1st, 2011. What this tells us is that at that time, his cell phone either died, was dismantled, or shut off. Let me, let me throw this in here for the listeners. If you'll think about it this way, there's a way for you to find your cell phone if you lose it. They have uh, certain apps for that where you can access information from your computer about where your cell phone is if you misplace it. Well, just in that manner, they also can find out when the last time a cell phone transmitted a signal vis-a-vis uh, in, -vis in relationship to a tower that is up somewhere within a city as long as it has power. And so when the cell phone lost power, you know, then it would no longer ping. And so I think that that's more than likely what happened when they stopped getting any uh, location of the phone back uh, that information. The ping is the information that the, the police officers, we don't know, I don't know why they call it a ping, but 
that's what they call it. They ping a phone and they can uh, they can trace it to where it exists so long as it has power and is transmitting any type of uh, any type of, of, of signal. He stayed with a friend on Flintlock Drive that night. Yep. The friend that he stayed with that first night claims on Flintlock. On yes, Flintlock. on Flintlock mm-hmm. claims that um, that uh, Nico did go to a soccer game with him, uh, with him and his family on the second, and um, that they uh, his uncle had broken his leg, um, and that I guess the whole family went to uh, take the uncle to the hospital, and when they did, Nico. Uh, left the field to return back to the house. And they claim that when they got back to the house, that Nico was gone and he had taken all his things and that they never saw him again. The mother had indicated in an interview that he had taken up company with the wrong sort. What did she mean by that? Well, Fletcher, they haven't come out and said it directly, but the police have alluded to the idea that there may have been some gang activity involved in all this and that some of the people that Nico had associated himself with may have been MS-13. The truck he was driving after he left the soccer field on the 2nd and never seen again was found, but was it cleared? Tracy, from what I understand on that They treated that more or less as a stolen vehicle case rather than a murder case and that the vehicle was only swabbed once. And as far as finding items that may have belonged to Nico, I have heard that there was one item that may have belonged to him that was found in that garage. But to answer your question, I would have to say no, the vehicle was not cleared and that I don't believe there was really any attempt to clear it. And I know we've already mentioned this, but also note that the person of interest whose garage that that vehicle was found in is deceased now. The gentleman that he dropped off in Michigan passed away also, correct? Yes, Tracy, that's true. And while we're on the subject, I'm going to go ahead and mention the fact that there have been so many drug overdoses surrounding this case since Nico's disappearance. We've got um, both of the boys that were involved in dismantling the truck who have both overdosed since then and have passed. And we have a girlfriend of one of those boys who overdosed and thankfully did not pass away, but uh, by some miracle she didn't because she almost did. We've got the kid that uh, Nico supposedly dropped off in Michigan before he came to Franklin and his brother. So as an outsider looking in, it appears that these cases are no accident, that these kids may actually be getting hot-shotted. And we do know that that is a technique of the MS-13s. We use terms sometimes that the listener may not know to what we're referring. And one of them, I think, is MS-13, which is an international criminal gang that originated in Los Angeles in the 80s, uh, spread to many parts of the continental United States, Canada, Mexico, and Central America. 
uh, and is pretty active in, in urban and suburban areas. Most of the members are of Central American origin, principally in El Salvador. So that's that's what we mean when we say MS-13. I just wanted uh, people to know that. Cause, because not everybody listening may know what MS-13 is. No, but Fletcher, they should know because MS-13s are one of the most dangerous and prominent gangs in the United States right now. They are a particularly brutal uh, gang, been known to cut people with machetes. They uh, uh, are they they deal quite a bit in kidnapping and human trafficking. Um, so they got a, They've been used by different cartels to help them d- uh, in distribution of product. So I mean, they're they're a dangerous um, outfit. Sounds pretty logical that when Nico went home to New York a couple months later, there was the this bus at his high school. Whether he was a snitch or not, I doubt he was, but I believe that they believed he was. Well, it would make you look like a snitch to the outfit. Right. I mean, you go to New York a couple months later, everybody's getting taken down. Everybody knows that the police, if they're not going to arrest the snitch with the takedown, they're going to time the takedown a sufficient amount of time after the snitch is no longer there to make it appear that he wasn't the snitch in the first place. If the, if he was a snitch, they didn't plan this takedown well at all because the better way to do it with police informants is for the police to go in with the snitch and arrest him with the others. And I don't think he was. I just think that they thought he was. Oh, no, Tracy, I think you're exactly right. I think that they believed that he had snitched them out. I think you're exactly right, Tracy. I think you're right. And, and and the price for that in a lot of criminal gangs is you pay for that with your life. So true and unfortunate. Um, Fletcher, Tracy, I'm going to go ahead and play this first clip of my interview with Monica, and we will reconvene and discuss afterwards. My son went missing from here. Something happened to my son. I do know who the the people of interest are. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand about them and my research that I've done, um, we're not talking about gangbanging kids. We're talking about people from nice neighborhoods, um, parents that have um, established businesses. Um, they're educated families. And mm-hmm. I, I think that these kids got caught up into something that maybe they didn't know what they were getting involved in. Out of the five that I know, two of them are now deceased. So the police never got to question them after they found the truck. And the the one boy's mother is a member of my son's Search for Nico Lisi Facebook page. I spoke with the father and the young boy when he was alive, and I asked them if they had seen Nico. I talked to them on December 18th of 2011. Mm-hmm. And I told them who I was, told them my son was missing. And they said, oh, no, we haven't seen him. Oh, my goodness. Blah, 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 blah. And then, lo and behold, five years later, the truck is found in their garage on a property they own in Nashville. And, yeah. of course, the boy is deceased at the time the truck is found. I want to know, why, why hasn't that family ever reached out to me mm-hmm. to even explain their side of it? Um, I don't know, lie to me and tell me why I didn't know that that truck was in my, in my 
garage or I don't know, say something to me. And I don't know, maybe it's because they don't know what to say or maybe if they admit it, then it implicates them or I'm not, I don't, I don't understand. I just, mm-hmm. I don't understand it. You know, I, I think about those families in Franklin and the two in particular that their sons are now deceased. They have a place to go to visit mm-hmm. their sons. The possibility of my son being alive is virtually zero. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it, I am, I am probably never going to have a place to go visit my son because no searches have ever been done. You know, nobody wants to talk. Nobody wants to say anything. Nobody wants to implicate their their kids being involved in something so horrific. But the police have a pretty good picture of what they believe happened to my son. Can you talk about that, or do you need to keep that kind of quiet um, right now? I, I'll just say that the police believe that my son was in town very a very short period of time, and they believe that he was killed there. And, you know, when it comes on the news that bones have been discovered or Mm -hmm. human remains have been discovered, I am all over that, Mm -hmm. you know, and then I have to sit and wait and I have to sit and wait. And then I find out, nope, it's not my son. These families in in Franklin that their sons have died, Mm -hmm. they don't have to sit and wonder. They every time a, a body turns up somewhere or bones turn up somewhere, they don't have to sit and question because they know where their kids are. Those people have information that could make my life a hell of a lot easier, and they choose not to talk. You know, if if my kid showed up at my house or at my rental property and was storing a vehicle in there and chopping it up. I think I'd have a few questions as to yeah. what was going on. I think that the community members ought to know who they are. I have had to live for seven years. Every time the phone rang for the first five years, it was a frantic, crazy mess. And I have been told by authorities in Tennessee that they do not believe that my son is alive. You know, Tennessee does not share information with me like New York did. Mm-hmm. Um, and And that's kind of makes me crazy but I mean to begin with I had all the people's names handed it to New York and they flew with it and they went down there and they started interviewing these people and it took a long time but they did it and you know I am I'm sitting here today and knowing that I have actually been in one of the persons of interest I've been in their home people blatantly lied to my face all right so um were there, I mean, has there been any any promising sightings at all that it seemed like they could have actually been him? No. Guys, this interview is so hard to listen to. Um, you can just hear the despair in her voice when I ask her if there's been any sightings or anything promising, and she says no. What kind of questions or thoughts are you guys having right now? I, I, have, a, I have a question for Tracy, I think. Okay. I think this is Tracy's alley here. Um, a lot of people that, of course, I have four children. I've never had any missing or disappeared, and thank the Lord. But when that happens, as a parent, is it normal for them to just want to know that they're dead, find the body so they can close the door on that chapter? I almost wonder if I wouldn't hope 
that every day I didn't hear anything that maybe that meant they might be alive. I, you know, I don't know which of those two. I don't know how I would feel. And I guess I'm asking, what's the most normal for that situation? It depends. Um, I know two of them right now. Um, one was the Bobo case, and one is another case we haven't discussed yet. We've touched on it, but um, haven't discussed. Both mothers are, um, one, just kept hoping and hoping and hoping and um, feeling that she was being held and hoping that she was alive. The other mother knows by the amount of time and the fact that this there, she hasn't contacted her children or her parents that she is deceased and she wants her body found. She wants to put her to rest beside her father. She wants her body found. Um, the majority of them are terrified at first and then once it settles in realistically that their child is no longer alive they want that child home but um, many just refuse to believe it it kind of depends on the person well I've always kind of wondered that because I've hear people get interviewed and some of them feel like or, or will say that I need closure I need to know I need the body so we can put this chapter I can, pl I can put them to rest and 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 then it just seems to me like some people are would almost rather them not find any remains because as long as they haven't found remains, there's always that hope, however desperate or slim of a hope it is, that they might still be alive. I don't think I've seen one single missing persons case where they don't want to know. Do they have any leads in, in Nico's case? I know that the police have shared with the mother that they think that it was gang related uh, and that, that he was uh, somehow associated with this MS 13 gang, but do they have any leads other than that? And if you know what led them to that uh, belief that it was a gang related incident? That's a great question, Fletcher. And actually, yes, they do have leads. Um, these kids that uh, are involved or allegedly involved, they, all come from upper class families and appear to be fairly wealthy. Um, and you wouldn't think that they would be involved with any sort of gang, especially the MS 13s. But we do have people who have come forward, um, some of them completely unrelated, who claim to have information about this case and particularly uh, the whereabouts of some of uh, Nico's remains. And according to one witness, at least, I know that they have said that um, that some of Nico's remains were discarded in the Cumberland River and that they had actually driven down Shelby Avenue to a place where you can turn right and drive right up on the river and that that was where they disposed of parts of his body. And for people that are unfamiliar with Nashville, the Shelby Avenue area around the Harpeth River is a pretty rough uh, part of town uh, in, in Nashville. It's, it's in East Nashville, and there's uh, uh, some pretty dicey projects that are right around there. There were when I was practicing law in East Nashville. I don't know. It might have changed since then, but that gives some context to why they would even 
that that would be a place where if you were dealing narcotics, you would have some people interested in your in your product there. So you would be in that area is what I'm trying to say. It's it, it would be an area that you it would be a familiar area. Yes. Yes. It would be an area that would be familiar to you. That would be your a turf somewhere you feel being right. And you could watch watch to see if the body was discovered. Sure. Sure. And, and, and another thing, too, you were saying that they went and got a warrant. And I think this is useful. This is really all I can contribute to a show is to tell you as someone with a doctorate in jurisprudence that when you go up and ask a judge for a warrant, you can't just tell the judge, hey, we want to search this house because, uh, you know, we hope we'll find something in there. You have to be more specific than that when you apply for a warrant. You have to tell them, you know, that uh, what case you're working, uh, who the target of the investigation is, and why you think there will be evidence in there and what that evidence will be and where you will explicitly search. You have to do all of those things with specificity. See what I'm saying? So when they they went up and told the judge when they got a warrant to search for that garage that they believed that it it had a, a, a connection with this crime. There would be a vehicle there that had, has probably been uh, chopped up, is what they call that, taken apart, maybe sold different parts and stuff. Uh, but they would have to tell the judge enough information for that judge to believe that there really was a connection between this garage and that they were likely to find the evidence that they were looking for there. So they had to go there by chance and just say, Hey, we think we want to search this garage because what the hell they, they had worked that lead up and, and then chose to apply for a warrant. Um, they pretty much believe, I guess the police, it's a theory that they're working up, that they are actually overdosing these these kids to get rid of these potential witnesses. I mean, it's not that they think that all these kids that are so connected and in the drug use are all accidentally overdosing, right? Gosh, Fletcher, I have no idea. Um, I think that, like I said earlier, as an outsider looking in, it seems obvious to me, and it's a pretty well-known fact that it is a tactic that these gang members use, but whether or not the police and the homicide detectives are looking at this as a serious possibility is, uh, I don't know, I, I have no idea. I did find Williamson County um, drug overdoses for 2015. In Tennessee, there was 1,451 drug overdose deaths in Tennessee. In Williamson County, there were 25. Let me tell you this about Williamson County, too, because I, I practiced law there in a former life and not regularly. I mean, I was there as a national attorney. I would service that area when, when I was licensed back in the old days. And um, one thing about Williamson County is if you're MS-13 and you're going to deal drugs at Franklin High School, you're going to have to get some of those Franklin kids to do it because they're going to pull you over for driving while Latino. I mean, you're very likely to get pulled over. I, and, and I had a case that was, I, I want to, and Heather, I told you about this. I had a drug case where the probable cause to pull over my client 
was that he was a black guy in a BMW and it was just too nice of a car for a black guy to be driving. And I remember at the hearing to suppress any evidence seized as a result of the search, arguing that it was a Fourth Amendment bad search. You know, it was an unlawful search. Um, The police officer just unabashedly just said, well, you know, my police hunch told me there was something going on here because this guy, this black man in bad tattered clothes didn't look like he belonged in a car that nice. And uh, the judge looked at me, I'm sitting here thinking, well, I've got to be winning, right? I mean, I've got to be winning. The judge, <laughs> judge looks at me, says, well, Mr. Long, uh, you know, it sounds to me like his hunch was uh, right on the money. And I said, well, your honor, perhaps, you know, here after, you know, after the fact, they found out that his hunch was correct, but the law doesn't permit you to make a hunch that somebody's breaking the law because he happens to be black in, in an outfit that you don't find to be suitable to be in a car that you think is too rich for his ethnicity. That's not a hunch the law permits you to make. Yeah, you're right, Fletcher. And here's what I have to say about that. You know, I'm taking these criminal justice classes and we talk a lot about racial profiling. It is never okay. But if we could go on a hunch, there would be a lot of murder cases and a lot of missing person cases that would be solved right now. There's a case down in Bardstown, Kentucky that we'll discuss at a later date. And the whole town knows who killed this woman. And um, hell, I mean, there's been TV shows about it. There's been videos leaked to YouTube of the suspects being interrogated, where they're being accused by the detectives that are basically saying, we know that you did this. Problem is, we don't have the evidence. In this particular case with Nico, most of the kids involved are uh, upper class Caucasian kids in a, in a rich county, as we've already discussed. So in this case, if we have anything at all, it's the opposite of racial profiling. I knew somebody that went to a very prestigious boarding school, uh, very, very one of the more famous uh, preparatory schools in the, the South. And she told me one time that all these kids that, you know, going to school with a bunch of kids that were all wealthy. And she talked, she confided in me. She said, you know, I was one of the poorest kids there. I mean, my, my family was actually having to somewhat struggle to pay the tuition. We had people there that uh, didn't blink uh, at a $40,000 a year tuition to this school. And she said, you know, it, it not only did not um, insulate me away from crime and drug use, I just had access to higher end drugs. Let me tell you what, there was a big thing going around in Nashville uh, back in the back in the day where drug dealers, what happened is, is these rich white kids from like uh, um, Bell Mead or, or Green Hills would go into the projects to score some marijuana or something or go score cocaine or whatever to score drugs. Right. And the drug dealers would follow them back to their house and rob them. That was the, uh, and, and they were just, for one thing, and you talk about racial profiling. Now, this is a type of racial profiling that the law seems to permit, but you can get pulled over as a, 
affluent looking white person driving around a housing project as fast as you can as a black person driving in a nice neighborhood. Because the police officers that work that beat have to wonder what is a white bread boy like you doing down here if you're not up to something. Well, people definitely are aware of their surroundings and the people around them. And uh, be it right or be it wrong, um, when you're in the wrong part of town or you're not fitting in, you stick out like a sore thumb. And uh, speaking of which, when Monica came to Franklin to hang up flyers for her missing son, uh, she was hanging the flyers up in the public's parking lot, Fieldstone Farms. And she noticed that there was a white truck with um, four or five men in the truck who happened to be Latino uh, watching her. And she was trying not to um, be paranoid. And she says, you know, that she's never been a person to um, racially profile somebody. Uh, She's not a prejudiced person at all. But because of what is going on in her life and what has happened to her son, she can't help but to have these thoughts when she when she sees Latino men. And in this particular case, the the men in the white truck, she felt like they were watching her. But she said, no, no, I'm not. They're not watching me. I'm just being paranoid. So she continued on. Well, she got all the way around the building, and when she came back around, she noticed that somebody had gone down and tore down every single poster that she had put up. So she went into Publix, and she uh, asked the managers if somebody had come out and torn them down because she had gotten permission from them to hang them. And so they called a little um, employee meeting, and... uh, they said, no, you know, nobody's, nobody's torn them down. And so, uh, they ended up calling the police and I believe they were able to get some surveillance video from the bank across the street because none of the public's surveillance, uh, cameras had the right angles to actually, um, (laughs) to catch these people on the camera, but they were able to see. And then when, um, when Monica and I believe her sister was with her and when they left and they went to get gas, uh, that same truck pulled up right in front of them and the men were staring at them again. And so they panicked and they backed up and, and they got out of there, but, um, they circled back around and got a partial plate. A little later, they got a call from the detective telling them they needed to get out of Franklin, Tennessee immediately, that it was a safety matter. Guys, with that said, I think I'm going to go ahead and play our final clip from Monica. This is a letter that she has written to the families that have information about her son. And I just want to mention before we play this that this is a woman who has been tortured for the last seven years of her life. And the fact that she even has the slightest bit of composure is a miracle. I just, I have so much respect for her and she may sound a little angry or confrontational, but my God, I mean, who wouldn't be at this point? I think that considering the circumstances, she is quite cordial. So to the families that are involved in any shape or form, it's not right that you continue to pretend that you were never a part of any of this. We love our son 
just like all of you love your families, and it's just not right. I don't understand why you won't come clean with the police and, and let them know, you know, your sons have, have died, and you can go and you can visit them at the cemetery, and I can't go visit mine because I don't know what your children did with my son's body. And I would like someone to come forward and at least give me that peace. Not just me, but Nico's whole family. Um, I know that you sit around and you mourn your loved one and it's horrible for you, but it's horrible for me too because I don't even know where my son is. And as far as protecting your loved ones, I mean, there's no one to arrest. So why don't you just come forward and, and tell what you know and at least give my family some peace. Until then, may God have mercy on all of you. I think that pretty much says it all. Um, do either of you have anything that you want to add in closing? I, I just want to add one small thing. Um, I know through you, through Monica, that um, Nico's favorite time of year, favorite holiday was Thanksgiving. I assume because of the food and the atmosphere and the family. So whenever Thanksgiving rolls around, if you could say a prayer for Monica and Nico and that he'll be found and Monica will have that peace. Yes, Tracy, I agree. Um, say a prayer for Nico and his family this Thanksgiving and tell your loved ones you love them sit a little closer, hold their hand, hug them a little longer, and just appreciate the time that you have with them. And just remember that there are families out there like Nico's family that do not have that luxury. What about you, Fletcher? Do you have any closing thoughts? Well, I, I, I was thrilled to death to get to look at the case. I, I don't know that we added too much to it. it. It sounds to me like that the police are pretty convinced that there was foul play and may even be convinced in what direction to um, invest any of their investigative vigor, but they haven't, they're, they're going to be somewhat hamstrung by the elapse of time, the inability to come up with uh, a body or parts that they can extract some DNA from and be able to prove ultimately that, that Nico has passed. And so it, it, it's regrettable that this case is, essentially uh, in this particular stature. And it's not really their fault so much as it is that seems to me like that Nico got caught up in a group of people that know how to handle problems in their underground, underworld way. And, and they, know, they know how to do it in a way so as to escape uh, uh, being uh, found or being discovered. Thank you, Fletcher. Um, as far as the purpose of this podcast is concerned, of course, the the best case scenario would be to um, get some tips out of it that would help us to find Nico and to solve this crime. Now, of course, the second best thing that could happen out of it, and what I'm really hoping for, is that the families of these kids who were involved in Nico's disappearance um, that they would hear this and understand how desperately that Nico's mother needs to hear from them and that they would have it in their hearts to um, just reach out and if nothing else, then just offer their condolences. But 
Um, this is a woman who, who just desperately needs that in her life in order to have peace. So if you have information in the disappearance of Nico Lisi, please call the tip line at 931-762-4553. Again, that's 931-762-4553. Please come forward for Monica. Well, guys, this concludes our Thanksgiving episode of The Final Report. Next week, we'll be discussing the disappearance of Karen Swift. I'll be uploading case evidence to the platform and emailing you throughout the week. And we'll reconvene on Thursday, same time, same place, and we will discuss the case from there. So y'all have a good week, and I will talk to you later on The Final Report.